Grab your Bibles and make your way to the Gospel of John. We're going to be in John chapter 10 this morning. And we're going to be working our way through verses 1 through 21 in this particular chapter. And I wanted to start by giving us a little context. We've been going through a series of events here in the Gospel of John for the last several months, beginning all the way back in John chapter 7, where Jesus goes down to Jerusalem to the festival of booths. And within John chapter 7 and 8, Jesus attends this particular festival, he goes to the temple, and he begins teaching the people that are gathered there in order to give them an understanding of who he is and what he was going to do, but they just weren't able to grasp it. They weren't understanding what he was laying before them, and part of that was is because they already had their preconceived notions on who Jesus was, where he came from, his family, where he currently resided. And Jesus was trying to get them to a place to understand what they didn't know, and trying to understand about who he was. And by the end of the festival, we're told that some actually came to a form of belief, and I've been calling it an artificial belief, because by the time Jesus fully reveals himself by saying, before Abraham was, I am, the crowd that had some sort of belief began picking up stones in order to stone Jesus revealing that they had gone back to the crowd's mentality before that they had been set apart. And so this paved the way for Jesus to exit the temple where he comes upon a man who had been blind from birth, and Jesus heals that man. Now the healing, as we looked at last week in John chapter 10, or chapter 9, led to a lot of problems for this once blind man. As he was interrogated by his neighbors and his friends, he was interrogated by the Pharisees twice, and he was basically left out to dry by his own parents. Ultimately, he was cast out of the synagogue, which means he'd be cast out of the temple as well, unable as a Jewish individual to go and worship God and to be in the place that the Jewish people believe this is where the presence of God dwelled. The whole event of chapter 9 revealed that this man who had now gained his sight, that the fact was that the Pharisees were the ones who were actually spiritually blind. Eventually, Jesus finds the blind man in verse 35 of chapter 9 and The blind man puts his faith in Jesus Christ and he begins to worship him. And finally, at the end of chapter 9, Jesus is once again confronted by a group of Pharisees. They just can't seem to stay away from him, even though they hate him. And they hear Jesus talking to this blind man about blindness and all that. And so they ask Jesus a question in verse 40 of chapter 9, are we also blind? And that led Jesus to lay down some truths in verse 41 that if they were blind, being spiritually blind, then they would be free of guilt. But since they understand, since they know, since they have seen, and since they have heard the truth, yet remain in their spiritual blindness, therefore they remain in their guilt. And all this leads into what Jesus is going to say in our passage and here in chapter 10 As he again addresses the Pharisees and a group of individuals begin to gather around to hear what Jesus is teaching, and I want to do a play on C.S. Lewis's The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, entitling this message, The Shepherd, the Thief, and the Sheep Pen. And though it may seem like we're dealing with quite a bit of passage this morning as we're looking at verses 1 through 21, we're going to break it up into three sections, and we're going to tie the first and second section together. The first section would be verses 1 through 6. But at the end of that teaching, we're told in verse 6, they did not understand what he, is saying, what he was saying to them. And so in verse 7 through 18, Jesus 
kind of reiterates what he's doing, and he gets straight to the point about what these uh, images are that he brings up in the first section, and in the second section, he gives it more definition. The final section deals with verses 19 through 21, and it is going to be the response that the, the people who were listening to Jesus, their response to what he is teaching. It's kind of like a parabolic type of teaching. We may not consider it necessarily a parable, if you're familiar with parables, but it's a teaching where Jesus is using a lot of imagery, which we're going to walk through here in a second and what they mean. So let's read it, and then we'll unpack it. Beginning in verse 1 of chapter 10 of the Gospel of John, the word of the Lord says, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, a man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, and for, for they know his voice. Stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So here's verse 7, where Jesus is going to reiterate. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. Verse 14, I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life, that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down. I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father." And then the response, there was again division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, he is a demon and is insane. Why listen to him? Others said, these are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? Let's pray together real quick. Father, thank you that if we are found in you, our chains are gone. We have been set free. We are justified before you, not because of anything we've done, but because of the work you did for us. Thank you for revealing that through your spirit of our need for salvation and forgiveness so we might have eternal life. Lord, I pray if there's someone here this morning who has not begun a relationship with you found only through Jesus Christ, that your spirit would begin speaking to their heart and preparing their hearts in this moment. As we walk through this passage, I pray that you just give us ears to hear, eyes to see, and a heart that is ready to accept what you're going to lay before us through your teaching and your word. I ask you to forgive us where we have failed you. I ask you to be with our brothers and sisters in Christ who aren't here today or can't be here today. Just to watch over them and 
Let them know that your presence is with them and give them a desire to be back within the fold of worshiping you with their brothers and sisters. Thank you, Lord, for the promise you've given us where two or more are gathered in your name that you, you are dwelling there as well. And we want to just follow your lead as our shepherd through this passage. So let the words that come out of my mouth be only what needs to be said. And continue to be glorified. We pray your kingdom and will will come in each and every life, including my own. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So what Jesus does here in John chapter 10 is he actually is giving us some understanding of not only who he is, some understanding of who we are, an understanding of who the thief is, and an understanding of who God is or God the Father. And so what I want to do right now is I want to walk through several key words that are actually interchangeable within these first two sections. That's going to be our main focus this morning is taking these first two sections and putting them together. So the thief and the robber, which are referred to first in verse 1, are referred to once again in verses 8 and 10. And the thief and the robber are interchangeable with the, the title stranger in verse 5, also with the title of the one who is not a shepherd in verse 10, and the hired hand, which we were told about in verses 12 and 13. And so these, there are times when these titles that Jesus is using for this illustration are referring to the Pharisees and their teaching of the Jewish people and how they're actually leading the Jewish people away from knowing and understanding who God really is. There are also times it's referring to groups of people who have aligned themselves with the Jewish people whom John refers to as the Jews, and we read that there in verse 19, the division among the Jews. That is a phrase John uses frequently in his gospel, and either referring to the Pharisees themselves or the Jewish individuals who have aligned themselves with the Pharisees' teachings and their hatred towards Jesus Christ. There are also times when this phrase is used referring to Satan himself. We read that in particular in verse 10 when he refers to Satan as the thief. There are times it refers to individuals who are agents of Satan or employed by Satan, hence the hired hand. These would be false prophets and false teachers and false messiahs. The title hired hand is to let us know again that they are employed by Satan. They are agents of his. They are working for his, they, him. They are opposed to anything which represents Jesus Christ. It gives us the image that we read of in Revelation chapter 12 when we're told that the woman escaped from the dragon and there we're told... Then the dragon, who represents Satan, became furious with the woman and went off to make war on the rest of her offspring, who are her offspring. They are those who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. In the simplest term, Jesus is revealing through this passage this morning that our enemy, Satan, has many agents at his disposal in order to cause harm to those who are following Jesus. Now, those who are following Jesus, Jesus refers to as sheep. It's an illustration Jesus frequently uses throughout his ministry to refer to God's people as sheep. For example, we're given that title in verses 3, 4, 7, 8, 11, 12, 13, 15, and 16. And what we have to understand about sheep is that sheep were not the brightest of animals. Sheep were also not the most courageous of animals. And this is why the sheep need a shepherd who is Jesus, to which he refers to himself in this manner in verse 10. And then in verse 11 and 14, he says that he is the good shepherd. 
This imagery, since he's speaking to a Jewish audience, would have been taken from what we consider one of the most popular psalms in Psalm 23, where it says, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. And so Jesus is pulling from the Jewish uh, teachings and their books on how they can know God. And so the true Jesus is laying before these Pharisees and laying before the crowd that is beginning to gather is that sheep are in need of a shepherd to provide for them, to lead them, to protect them. And at times, the shepherd would have to discipline the sheep. And the reason we are reliant upon the shepherd is because we're incapable of doing it ourselves. The final way that Jesus refers to himself is as the door. Some versions of the scripture read it as the gate. He does this in verse 1 and in verse 2 as well, making the statement of what the door actually is in verse 7 and 8 when he just comes right out with it in the second teaching of this parable that I am the door. Another piece of the parable deals with the gatekeeper who's only mentioned in verse 3, but the gatekeeper is the father whom Jesus refers to numerous times within the second time of this teaching in verses 14, 15, and 17. The final part of this particular teaching deals with the sheepfold, which can also be read as the sheep pen, and other times referred to in this parable as the pasture. And so it's represent, representing the sheep are in the sheepfold, the sheep pen are in the pasture because they are in the presence of God, they are with God, and even more importantly, they belong to God. Again, verses 1 through 6, Jesus gives this teaching, the first round. But since those who are listening aren't understanding it, Jesus takes a more detailed approach in verses 17 through 18. And in verses 17 through 18, Jesus makes it abundantly clear who the shepherd is, who the door or gate is, who the thieves and robbers are, who are those that are employed by the thief, and who the gatekeeper is. And so for our time this morning, we're going to walk through each one that Jesus lets us know who we are, who Satan is, who works for Satan and what they do, and who God is, and how that all is to impact our life. I want us to first deal with the hired hand or the thief. The hired hand is to denote those types of individuals, again, who are employed by Satan. And he also referred to as, who is referred to as the thief in verse 10. Their desire is to do the bidding of Satan. And therefore, their their nature is to imitate his nature. Now, Jesus has been setting this up as he told this crowd back in John chapter 8. He looks at them and says, you are of your father, the devil. And your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, and he does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character or out of his own nature. The first thing we learn about the thief is the one who speaks lies is that the thief preaches there are other ways to get to God. There are multiple ways to get to God. In this illustration, Jesus makes it clear that he is the door. And he is the only way to God or the Father. But the thief there in verse 1 climbs in by another way. Holds a double meaning. The second one we'll look at here in a moment. But throughout this whole teaching, Jesus makes it clear. Look, guys, I am the only way. You want to get to God? It's got to go through me. So his audience understands that he is a door. He comes right out and says it there. 
I am the door, verse 9, verse 7. To which verse 9 points to Jesus being the only way that people can enter in. And then when they enter in through Jesus, they will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. That term pasture in verse 9 can also be read as spiritual and eternal security because they are in the presence of God. And so the people understand that this thief or this hired hand isn't the real deal. Jesus points it out in verse 16. There will be one flock, one shepherd. So a major lie that our enemy is telling the world and uses individuals who are employed by him to do his bidding is that there are multiple ways to God. If you ever hear an individual say this sort of thing, no matter what title they may deem to carry, you know who they're working for. Jesus makes it clear, and a little later in his ministry, he's just going to come right out and say it. In John 14, 6, he says, I am the way and the truth and life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And so if we ever hear someone say, I don't care how popular they are with our culture. All religions go to God. There are multiple ways to God. We can say in all honesty, they are of the devil. And they are working for him. Second meaning of verse 1 is the the thief wants to infiltrate the sheep. Jesus elaborates this more in verses 12 and 13. Again, the hired hand is the one that is employed not by the shepherd, but he's employed by the thief. Again, speaking of false prophets, false teachers, those who say they come in the name of Christ, but act nothing like him, speak nothing like him, and imitate nothing of him. When you go into the New Testament, you see the letters that Paul wrote to the churches and even to his disciple Timothy. The majority of Paul's letters is he's telling believers, you have to be aware of false teachers You have to be aware of false doctrine. You have to be aware of false prophets and false apostles, which are beginning to creep within the church. To his disciple Timothy, which we have the letter 1 and 2 Timothy, in both letters he wrote to encourage Timothy to stand firm in the faith, but also to be aware that there are individuals within the church who are not preaching truth or standing for truth, and Timothy, as a man of God, was to weed them out. If it happened within the first century church, less than 100 years after Jesus rose from the grave, ascended into heaven, and sent his Holy Spirit, and Christianity was born, we can believe that it is happening today in 2023. There are individuals today who have given themselves the titles of pastors and teachers and evangelists, prophets, some even apostles, but that's a different day to talk about that. But they aren't preaching the word of God. And I've said this before, but I'm going to say it again. Just because there's a book in a Christian bookstore does not mean it is a Christian author who's writing about the Word of God. Just because you can find it on a Christian website, it doesn't mean it is teaching God's Word. Just because an individual carries a title of a pastor or preacher doesn't mean that they're preaching God's Word or are they pastoring God's people. Just because a band or an individual titles themselves as a Christian band or a Christian artist, does not mean that they are worshiping, glorifying, and singing to God and about His worthiness. Case in point, there's a man in our day-to-day going by the name of Flamey Grant. 
He is a transgender crossdresser. He has released two albums, and according to Apple Music, they were the top two albums in Christian music when they came out. It's a problem when we begin to allow the world to define what is Christianity and godly instead of understanding how God has already proclaimed it. The whole goal of the thief comes out in verse 10. What's his intention? To steal, kill, and destroy. That's all he wants to do. And he will use other individuals to get his intentions done in his plan. And how does he, how he does this is revealed through the action of the hired hands there in verse 12 and 13. We have this misconception about Satan because of the movies or TV shows or sometimes comic strips. Satan does not show up with fire all around him. Satan does not carry a pitchfork. His eyes aren't dark black. He does not have fangs. He does not have claws. When we see Satan, he imitates Jesus Christ to the best of his ability. And he gets those who follow him and are following his teachings to do the exact same thing. If you don't believe me, just read through the book of Revelation and see how many times Satan tries to imitate the image of Jesus Christ to fool the people so they can go down to the road of death and destruction. He only wants to steal, kill, and destroy. Times shepherds would be hired hands, meaning they would work for the master. They would work for the individual who actually owned the sheep. But the thing when a shepherd was hired by the master or the owner of the sheep, their responsibility was to take care and to protect the sheep. And if they lost any of the sheep, it would come out of their earnings to pay for that loss. Yet notice what the hired hand does in verse 12. He looks the part, but he does not own the sheep. And that makes sense. Shepherds typically did not own the sheep. But that, that reading there from the Greek, not just that he doesn't own the sheep, but he doesn't actually care for the sheep. Because he's more interested in himself. And so when danger emerges, which is what the word wolf implies there in verse 12, the hired hand of the thief flees and he runs away. The hired hand of the thief may come across as bold and strong and impressive, but when danger emerges, they have no courage. They leave those they are meant to take care of, and they leave them for themselves. The hired hand belongs to the thief, and both of them are selfish. It's a good illustration of what is known as the prosperity gospel today. I was watching a documentary on it a while back. Many of these so-called preachers, they preach to individuals who are struggling financially, emotionally, physically, mentally. And then they take the word of God and they spin it for themselves. And they tell these individuals who are hurting that if you would just give out of the abundance of your heart, things would get better. If they would give what little they had, to bless the ministry and bless the pocket of these prosperity preachers, then God would bless their pockets. And God would bless their life. And whatever ailment they're going through, God would take it away simply by giving money. I'll tell you this, God doesn't need your money. 
He paves his streets in gold. He builds mansions for his children. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Everything belongs to him. But there's this preaching prosperity gospel that is going on, and these preachers care nothing about the people they're supposed to be leading. They only care about themselves because they work for the thief. They're selfish. Now let's look at the polar opposite. Let's take a look at the shepherd and the good shepherd. The hired hand looks at the sheep, but notice verse 2 through 4, the shepherd leads the sheep. The significance of Jesus leading us as the sheep is this. He goes before us. He stands on the front line for us. He can see what's coming on the horizon even when we're not aware of it. And once again, Jesus pulls from Psalm 23 and he says, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me. Guess where? In the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Not just to the brim, it overflows. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Why? Because he's my shepherd. The house of the Lord of Psalm 23 would be synonymous to the word pasture and sheepfold in our passage this morning. The second thing we learn about the shepherd in Jesus is the shepherd knows and owns the sheep. Verse 3, it says he calls his own sheep by name. Verse 14, Jesus says, I know my own, and my own know me. If we could just sit on that for a moment, what an incredible promise that we are known by God. We are known by the shepherd. We are known by the Holy Spirit. They are fully aware of who we are. Even before Jesus could even teach us, David, who had a heart for God, understood this in Psalm 139, verse 1. He says, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. Jesus Christ is our Lord and Savior. Then the Bible tells us that our names are written within the book of life. But here's the incredible thing. That doesn't mean that our names are written amongst this list. We are known, owned, and claimed by God as his own. Jesus is fully aware of who we are. He knows what we're going through, whether it's hard times or good times. He knows what we worry about. He knows what we cry about. He knows what weighs on our hearts at times. His promise is found in verse 10, though. I have come, or I came, that they may have life and have it abundantly. That word abundantly in the Greek means fullest came that they have, would have life and have it to the fullest. The word abundantly means to be overflowing with satisfaction. Jesus, the shepherd, says, I have come that you could have life and it would be overflowing with satisfaction. And how do we live in that life? By coming back to reality, we are known by God. We are owned. He owns us. That's why Paul uses that phrase, slaves of righteousness. And God looks at us even in our darkest moments, even in the moments we want no one else to know about, in our biggest mistakes, and God still claims us. 
We are sheep of his sheep pen. Some people may hear, okay, Jesus is the shepherd, but what makes him the good shepherd? What makes him different from all the other shepherds that are out there? And Jesus says why numerous times within this passage. We'll look at just a few of them. Verse 11, he says, I am the good shepherd. And why is he the good shepherd? The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Verse 15, I lay down my life for the sheep. Verse 17, I lay down my life and I can take it up again. And it teaches this thing about Jesus, the shepherd, sacrifices. The phrase, lay down, can literally be read as, I sacrifice my life. I sacrifice myself. And Jesus reveals that he is unlike the hired hands, that Jesus is selfless. He stands before this group of Pharisees and others who have now gathered in and started listening And Jesus, being fully aware of their murderous intentions, he tells them in verse 18, No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. Which tells us that Jesus voluntarily sacrificed himself for the sheep and those who would become his sheep. He goes on in verse 18. He says, I have the authority. That word authority could be read as power. I have the authority and power to lay it down. I have the authority to take it up again. And why does he have that authority? Because this is the charge I have received from my father. The word charge means command. Jesus says, I have the power and authority to sacrifice my life and then take it up because it is the Father's command. It is the Father's will. It is the Father's desire. And as we've seen the last couple of months, Jesus came only to glorify the Father. Jesus was living for the Father's will so that we could be forgiven for all of our sins. We could be saved and be given eternal life. The final thing we learn about the shepherd and learn about Jesus is in verse 16. Is that the shepherd invites. He says, and I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock and one shepherd. Now when he says those who are not of this fold, what he's saying is he's speaking of the Gentiles. He's speaking of those who will be brought into the fold when the Holy Spirit comes upon the believers in the book of Acts. So in this statement, as Jesus is looking at this Jewish audience who's listening to him and trying to understand what he is saying, he's saying, look, yes, I am the Messiah for the Jewish people, but I am also the Messiah for all people. And I'm going to bring some who are not of this fold, meaning they are not Jewish, and they're going to become a part of the fold because there is one flock and there's one shepherd. He's telling these people that all people are going to be able to find salvation through him. Our God is not a God who puts up walls to stop people from being saved, but through this statement that Jesus makes, he's telling them that he's going to break down every wall that might seemingly exist so that people could find faith and salvation in Jesus Christ alone. Now let's turn our attention to the sheep. (laughs) That represents us. There's two distinct characteristics of the sheep that Jesus gives us in this teaching. The first one's found in verse 3 and reiterated in verse 16. And that is that the sheep hear the voice of the shepherd. Verse 3 says, the sheep hear his voice. Verse 16, they will listen to my voice. The Greek word for hear in verse 3 and for listen in verse 16 is the exact same Greek word. 
The word means to heed or to obey. And this is the distinguishing mark of us as the sheep that we obey the shepherd's voice. Jesus said in John 14, 15, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. In John 14, 21, it says, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. John 14, 23, it says, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. The second thing we learn about ourselves, the sheep, is the sheep know the voice of the shepherd. It comes out of verse 4. They know his voice. The word know carries the meaning to recognize, to understand, and to experience. It is the knowing and recognizing, understanding, and experiencing the voice of the shepherd, who is also the voice of God, to let, which allows us to know not to follow the sheep because we don't recognize, or the thief, because we don't recognize his voice. We only recognize the Father's voice, the voice of truth. This is found in verse 5. We don't recognize the voice of those who have been hired by the thief because we know and understand it's not the voice of the Father or the shepherd. Because why? We know it. We have experienced the Father's voice. It's found in verse 8. Instead of sheep, because we know God's voice, we find abundant life. In verse 9, we will be saved and we'll go in and out and find abundant pasture. Finally, the gatekeeper. We're introduced to the gatekeeper in verse 2. I'm sorry, verse 3. It's a phrase or term Jesus is using in referring to the Father. And notice the actions of the gatekeeper to the sheep who are following the shepherd. There's three of them. The gatekeeper opens the way. We see this in verse 3. We already mentioned that Jesus is the way. The gatekeeper knows the sheep. We see this in verses 14 and 15. If Jesus knows us and the Father knows Jesus, then the Father knows us as his own through Jesus. Final part is in verse 17. The gatekeeper loves the sheep. Because the gatekeeper loves the shepherd and the shepherd is taking care of the sheep, the sheep receive love that is extended through the Son. So this brings us to the final section, the response in verses 19 through 21. There was again a division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, he has a demon and is insane. Why listen to him? Others said, these are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon, Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? Which ties it back to the events of John chapter 9. The crowd is once again divided. Ever since Jesus has arrived in Jerusalem, going back to John chapter 7, the crowd has had division amongst themselves and trying to understand what he's saying, trying to understand who he is. And it happens all the time throughout Jesus' ministry where people get divided about what he's saying and the truth he's laying before them. The first group in verse 19 comes to the conclusion that Jesus is insane. He is out of his mind. Not only that, he is possessed by a demon. Because of what they think they know about Jesus, and that him being insane and being possessed by a demon, they come to the conclusion that there's no reason to listen to any words that come out of this man's mouth. And so therefore, they're revealing that they're not going to be sheep. They're not going to follow him. 
And what we see, even though Jesus understands it's about them, throughout his ministry, what Jesus continues to do is show the grace and the love of God because he continues to extend the invitation to follow him. Second group, verse 21, stuck in this quandary. Again, it ties back to chapter 9 and what took place in the once blind man who was healed. And this group has come to the somewhat same conclusion that the blind man came to when he was being interrogated by the Pharisees. And the conclusion he came to, and this crowd is slowly starting to get to, is that God doesn't listen to sinners. Matter of fact, the blind man, or once blind man, said to the Pharisees that if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him, saying that he believes that Jesus is from God. And this is where this other division of crowd is trying to get to, but can't seem to get over the hurdle, because to admit that Jesus is from God, that means everything that he has said is absolute truth. And so the understanding of this group in verse 21 is that they're aware of the blind man and his healing, which means that God listened to Jesus, and therefore Jesus has to be from God. And there's no way he could be possessed by a demon. Yet in their statement in verse 21, they aren't stating their faith in Jesus, just their lack of conviction that Jesus is insane or demon-possessed. And the response of both crowds there in verse 20 and 21 brings us to a very pivotal question that every individual has to answer. And that question is, who are we following? If we're here this morning and Jesus Christ is not your Lord and Savior, then that means you are following the thief. You cannot follow the shepherd unless you are a sheep that belongs to the shepherd. And let me tell you where the thief is taking you. Steal, kill, and destroy. And Jesus refers to this as the road of life that leads to death and destruction. Without Jesus Christ, your shepherd, that's where you're heading. But if Jesus Christ is your shepherd, then you're going down the road of life, which leads to the abundant life, the satisfying life, the overflowing life, and the eternal life. So who are you following? Perhaps you're here this morning And God is extending the invitation to you to become one of his sheep. And that can only be done by by turning to Jesus Christ in faith for the work that he did, the work that he completed, his resurrection, his ascension, and his promise that one day he's going to return for his own, his sheep. God has made it incredibly easy to make this decision and this commitment but also incredibly important. He says, first you have to admit to God that you're a sinner. The word sin means you fall short. You missed the mark. Language for today is you shoot air balls compared to God's holiness and perfection. And so you admit to God that you're a sinner, but then you also tell God that you believe that his son Jesus Christ lived a perfect life according to his word, died on the cross for your sins, was placed in a tomb but rose three days later to show he has the power over death, the authority to forgive sins, and grant eternal life. And the Bible says when you place your faith in that, there's one more step, and that is to confess Jesus Christ as your Lord. 
Not to confess him as Lord. He is already Lord. To confess him as your Lord. That word confess means to make publicly known. And that's when we come this time of invitation. I'm going to be standing down here. And if you're at a place where you're like, I don't know who I've been following. I'm going to invite you to come down and say, Pastor Mike, I need to be forgiven and I need to be saved. We'll pray together and we'll celebrate together. And God will claim you as his own. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this day. Lord, thank you for knowing us, owning us, claiming us. And thank you for allowing us to have the the ability and the access to experience you and to understand you and to hear your voice. Pray in this time of invitation and response that you alone continue to be glorified. Again, thank you for this day and this time. Help us to worship you in spirit and in truth as we sing this song. We praise in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.